And I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Emily right now because it is so hot <laughs> that I am drinking out of my insulated water bottle, which is loaded with ice. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> the good news is it's only it only feels like 102 Fahrenheit outside, and I am in the coldest room in my apartment, so I shouldn't need to have the fan on. <laughs> oh my god, we haven't even gotten that hot, Christina. Yeah. It's real great. It's going to be like this until Thursday. And this today is Sunday. Uh, climate change is real. Yeah. And and that's all I want to say about it. Otherwise, I'll have depression. <laughs> Look, all I will say about this is that I would like to meet the eight richest men in the world, because of course they're all men, uh, and each <laughs> give them each a swift kick in the dick. Yeah. And of course, this is not legally permissible because there is, it's not a zero chance, but it is infinitesimal chance that I would ever meet one of the richest people on the planet Earth. We should put them through their own Hunger Games. We should. That'd be fun. It's like, listen, I know the idea of doing the Capital Games was bad, and that's why uh, uh, Katniss killed President Coin. But also, like, I get it. <laughs> well, the difference between the Capital Games and what I'm going to you know, call the Billionaire Games. Yes. <laughs> or the Ludicrously Wealthy Games will workshop the title, uh, is that the Capital Games was still going to be a lottery that would include people who may have only been complicit by situation and not by deliberate action. And it was also going to be children. Yes, and it was also going to be children. Whereas our billionaire games are terrible grown men who are only alive because they can afford good healthcare. <laughs> and to buy friends. Yes. And to ruin the entire state of the earth. Yes. But like I said, let's not let's not get stuck talking about <laughs> yeah. sad things. Don't talk yeah. about the climate. Don't talk about the economy. Also, don't talk about film and television. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like a specific subsection of A24 things. <laughs> <laughs> or Dropout. Yes. I mean, Dropout was weird to begin with because they weren't sure if they even fell under things that would have to be striked because they're, mm -hmm. like, semi-scripted, but they're not union-scripted. It was a weird thing that they had a lot of members that are part of the unions, but it itself wasn't necessarily a union show, but they wanted to match the union, but now they're good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also, they were never on TV. They're all on, like, exclusively streaming web video, which I know is not... It is similar to, like, big-name streaming, but it's also different in that... Clearly, they care about their employees. Yeah, it's it's a weird... I don't understand it because I'm not in it, but I trust them. Yeah. I trust Sam Reich. Yeah, I am Sam Reich? very glad. What's his name? <laughs> He's your friend, Mo. He is primarily your friend. No, no, I'm not I'm not talking about oh, no. Sam Gash. Oh, my Sam friend Gash. The show. I'm, I'm talking about Sam Reich, I, the owner of Dropout. I forgot, I forgot our <laughs> friend Sam's last name until I said it out loud. <laughs> It I'm gonna go congratulate hot. him for his purchase of Dropout TV. <laughs> um, we should actually start the episode proper. Let's actually start the episode. Uh, I'll put the theme song here. Sweet. Actually, I won't put the theme song here because while Glee is still a stark work, they don't even get a parody theme. <laughs> Take that, M M P N A N T. What is the A N T M T? The A D B D T D committee. A M T N P. A M T P T B D B D. Get bent. <laughs> support the WGA support SAG-AFTRA SAG support the striking hotel workers support the striking hotel workers support everyone who is 
everyone who has been is or is going to be on strike. Yeah. God, the, I wish that were me. The potential VFX unionization. It, literally anything happening with the Animation Guild. If reality show workers can unionize, that'd be hype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If all if getting on a reality show automatically gets you into a union, then all the right wingers who try and make a quick buck off of reality shows will want to join because they don't want to be in a union. And so all reality shows will devolve into leftist infighting, which I think will be funny. <laughs> oh, you know what we could do for our theme song? We could just insert the song There is Power in a Union. Yes. <laughs> With credit, of course. <sighs> Put in seize the day. Amen. Open the gates and seize the day. <laughs> Open the gates and seize the day. Send up a call and join the fray. Send up a call and join the fray. I've never seen Newsies. I've only ever seen the review of Newsies from the Nostalgic Chicks. The old, old, old Lindsay Ellis when she was the Nostalgic Chick and she still had her Nostalgic Chick posse. It's a surprisingly decent movie. I don't doubt that. Everyone everyone who's seen Newsies has liked Newsies. I've never heard see, I've never met a person who has disliked Newsies. Yeah. It is very camp. Surge Surge is a big Newsies head, but of course he is because it's his favorite leftist musical. <laughs> Would you have freedom from wage slavery? Then join in the grand industrial band. Would you from misery and hunger be free? Then come do your share like a man. There is power, there is power in the band of working men. When they stand, when they stand, hand in hand, hand in hand. That's a power, that's a power that must rule in every land. One industrial union. Have mansions of gold in the sky and live in the shack away in the back. Anyways, hi! E. Welcome to Loser Like Me, a podcast that is explicitly not talking about Glee or the Glee Project because the former is a struck work and the latter is not a struck work, but it would involve having to discuss the former struck work, so we're like, eh, we might as well skip that one too. Yeah, and even though we are not talking about either the scripted television series or the not scripted technically, but still, but still an associated reality competition show. Because we respect and support the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA, even though we are not members ourselves. It is important to support people and everything, and it's the right thing to do. Forever. Solidarity forever. But we are not talking about that today because good news is that even though. Normally, our bonus content is talking about TV shows or movies that the cast of Glee <laughs> has been involved in. We are avoiding doing that, but did you know that people from the cast of Glee have written books? <laughs> what? I actually didn't know this. <laughs> so it's time for book club! <laughs> Yay! And uh, what better to talk about for our first, <laughs> for our first Glee Club book club? <laughs> Than a book that was actively being written during the production of Glee. So, for today, we are going to be talking about Chris Colfer's book, the first entry in the Land of Stories series, called The Wishing Spell. It's not technically the first thing he ever wrote for a book, but it is the first in a long-running and still actively publishing series. So It's still happening! 
ho- hopefully the strike will end before we work our way through the entire series. But we yeah. do have a lot of stuff we can talk about in the meantime. So I actually read the Land of Stories around the time it came out. Mm-hmm. And I liked it fine, but also wasn't a book that I was super, super invested in. Like, I truly only read it because I was a big leak at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wasn't hooked hard enough to go and collect the other stories as they came out. Uh, eventually I did pick up the sequel, but I never got around to reading it. And then when I was clearing out my bookshelf, I decided that I wasn't going to worry about them anyways. And I had no reason to. And I didn't would ever be talking about them on the Glee podcast. <laughs> so I took them and I uh, sold them off to my used bookstore for store credit. And I used that to get some other books. Uh, and then a strike happened. And then I realized that I actually forgot to take the second book with me. So <laughs> so I'm out here with just book two. And I never read these books when they were actively being released. I was, like, aware of them being published. Like, oh, hey, Chris is writing, like, kids' books. That seems very cool and kind of up his alley. And then uh, when we decided that we were going to be discussing The Land of Stories, The Wishing Spell, I... Very, I was very happy to find that my local library has multiple copies of all of the books. <laughs> and because it didn't get to my library until about four days ago, five days ago, I only have read up through the beginning of chapter 10 <laughs> of the first book. But you know what? That's, so, that's fine because it means we can just stretch this out a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I don't want to be stuck being a, like a book podcast for too long because that means the strike has been going for too long and AMPTP are sucking eggs but also yes it's good to have a little bit of wiggle room so that it's like well we can stretch it if we need to we don't want to but we if we need to yes and also i'm very glad that it is something that's good about reading like kids books and ya is that it's generally speaking a pretty quick read yeah that's true does is the font big no, the the font the font is not big, but I'm gonna compare this to actually one sec, let me pull up the name of the other book that I'm trying to read right now. So uh, the other book that I'm reading at the moment is a book called Burnout: The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Oh boy, I figured that out. I got off of Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> well, it's a book that is very interesting and helpful and is much cheaper than therapy but it is also the kind of book where you know like i read like five pages and then i have to sit there and just go like damn and texting pictures of excerpts from this book to all of my friends like this is why we are the way we are (laughs) here is a survival tactic so having a kid's book to read that i'm Getting through at a relatively decent pace when I make the time to read is refreshing. Which is not to say that, like, books written for adults suck, but, you know, it's it's easier to read a kid's book because they're meant for kids. Yeah. <laughs> if all you have the brain power for is engaging with a kid's book, that's fine, and you should do it. <laughs> exactly. Plus, life's too short. Read a kid's book. so should we get started let's get started okay i'm gonna read first the publisher summary from the inside front cover through the mysterious powers of a cherished book of stories twins alex and connor leave the world behind and find themselves in a foreign land full of wonder and magic where they come face to face with the fairy tale characters they grew up reading about and i also want to read chris colfer's dedication which is to his grandma 
for being his first editor and giving him the best writing advice he's ever received. Christopher, I think you should wait until you're done with elementary school before worrying about being a failed writer. <laughs> and that was just so delightful to me. Like, that's big. That's a big grandma move. <laughs> but yeah, it's been such a long time since I've talked about a book. I guess we kind of just do a broad strokes recap, and I will specifically it's mention just the funny bits. You since you actually have been reading it, you're going to have to give the plot stuff, yeah. and I'll chime in with stuff I remember. Or go, mm-hmm. whoa, if I have not remembered it until just now. <laughs> <laughs> so the prologue, like the intro to the book The Wishing Spell, is titled The Queen's Visit. And basically, it's Queen Snow White, who has, you know, survived the events of the Snow White fable. We are in post-game territory. (laughs) Visiting the imprisoned evil stepmother. So she didn't die in this version. They just put her in prison. And Snow White is like, hey, even though you were terrible and you've tried to kill me at least four times, three of which you attempted yourself. So, yikes. But... She still says, like, even though you have tried to have me killed four times, like, you are still the only maternal figure that I have ever known. Because her bio mom died when she was born. (laughs) And basically she's trying to talk to the evil stepmother, the evil queen, like, why did you do all of this? (laughs) Like, I am good and I do not understand evil. Tell me your backstory. (laughs) Like, show me that you can be redeemed because I've been believing in you for however many years and i don't want my faith in you to be have been misplaced and she says oh well sure i'll tell you snow white just sit down on this random stool in my jail cell and i'll tell you my story and also it's worth mentioning that the evil queen's magic mirror is not with her in her jail cell which is good but she does have this stone heart like I am, at this point, I am unclear if it is a heart which has been calcified or a piece of stone carved into the shape of a human heart. Either way, yikes. <laughs> like, is it is it heart-shaped like like a like a heart like the suit or a heart like a ba-dum-ba-dum heart? Ba-dum-ba-dum heart. <laughs> ah. We know it's not Snow White's heart, though, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> or is it? Maybe there's I a mean, big twist at the end. Look, this isn't, this isn't Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> we don't have to worry about Fair that. <laughs> Can we? Yes, we can discuss Kingdom Hearts. You know my favorite thing about Kingdom Hearts 3? Shoot. Is that in the Pirates of the Caribbean world, uh, the Organization 13 and Sora and crew are spending the whole time trying to find the dead man's chest because they heard someone's heart is inside it. And when they get there and they open it up, and it's a real, like, an ooey-gooey real person heart, like a biological heart, and they're like, yeah. what the? What are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> God. My favorite thing about Kingdom Hearts 3 is they had to add <laughs> they had to add Kyrie content in the post game because she had jack shit to do in the regular game. <laughs> so much of Kingdom Hearts is people going, Kyrie's important, trust me. <sighs> hey, you know, at least Aqua's important. Yeah. Aqua's important. At least Kingdom Hearts has one <laughs> well fleshed out female character. Well, two if you count Maleficent. <laughs> I'm gonna say, are we gonna include like is Shion in there, or... I don't view... I view Shion as non-binary, so... Fair. Go listen to Kingdom Smarts. It's good. Yes. It's fun. I have not listened to Kingdom Smarts because I just realized last week that my Patreon feed apparently got disconnected from Overcasts, and I have to get it back. <laughs> Whoa. It is what it is. But anyway, back to the book at hand. Uh, chapter one. <laughs> Once upon a time. 
And this is when I thought, is the evil queen telling the story of these two middle school kids who are just living boring lives? Like, is her evil backstory going to be that she was their teacher and they hated her? Once upon a time, there were two normal children and they did normal things. And that's why it's so scary is because they're so normal. <laughs> that kind of... It, that, that's not not the point so far, it seems like. <laughs> we, we start the book proper with a literature lesson being taught to a bunch of sixth graders. The teacher's name is Mrs. Peters, and she really loves stories and the power of a narrative to improve people and like give them hope in trying times because of remembering all the fables they learned and stuff. And she is described very unflatteringly and she has this class of sixth graders, none of whom are especially interested in participating, which fair. <laughs> Except for our one of our two protagonists, whose name is Alex Bailey. She is a teacher's pet. She is a go-getter. She loves to read. She doesn't interact well, if at all, with her other peers. She has no friends. <laughs> she mentions that she spends her lunch breaks, like, reading by herself in the library. But she really loves fantasies and fables and stories. And everyone else is kind of like, okay... We don't have to answer because Alex is going to answer all of the questions for us. <laughs> and there's also a part in here where Mrs. Peters is talking about... She has this whole screed against fairy tale adaptations. Oh, but is this not a fairy tale adaptation itself? It will be. She says, The only exposure to the tales some children acquire are versions bastardized by film companies. Fairy tale adaptations are usually stripped of every moral and lesson the stories were originally intended to teach and replaced with singing and dancing forest animals. I recently read that films are being created depicting Cinderella as a struggling hip-hop singer and Sleeping Beauty as a warrior princess battling zombies. I would watch both of those. <laughs> I would too, honestly. Like, okay, okay, hang on. I will I will say, dude, like, even if you're a, a hip-hop star battling zombies, or whatever it was. <laughs> no, that's both of them. Whether you're a hip-hop star or you're battling zombies, if you find yourself in a fairy tale adaptation, you should endeavor to keep the original themes of the fairy tale involved. Uh, mm -hmm. Cough, bad Cinderella, cough. Yeah, yeah. Or actually, uh, you also do try to put a new spin on it. Cough, mm -hmm. Mind you, okay, I guess the movie actually attempted to do something original with it. The book was boring as hell, because it was really just Prime Prejudice and there were random zombies involved. <laughs> At least the movie had the decency... Hang actually, I can't speak of the movie. Never mind. Don't watch the movie. <laughs> Don't watch the movie now. Emily, whenever we say a movie, you just have to bleep out the name. <laughs> or a TV show. Those are the new cusses. <laughs> We're probably fine. We're probably allowed to say that movies exist. It's just, it's funnier that way, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It is for the bit. It, yes. This, oh my god, we, the, with only this to talk about, this podcast is going to be nothing but bits. <laughs> Excellent. I love a bit. <laughs> but yeah, back to the story at hand. That paragraph that I just read was what reminded me that, oh yeah, this was written in 2012. This was the hot take of the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. I've, I remember this book feeling very of the time. Yeah, there are parts of it that are very like, oh, Christopher, you were doing the best you could with what you had at the time. And I'm sure now that obviously, because gosh, he would have been what, like 25 when he was writing this? 
No, younger than that. Uh, hang on, Chris Colfer, when were you born? 90. So he would have been He would like, have been 21. like 21. Yeah. Like, he was 21 when he was writing this, and now he's, like, 33, so I'm sure that his writing is much more nuanced now. Yeah. But also, like, it doesn't have to be super nuanced, you know, because this is a book for kids. <laughs> like we, lo- But we like a little bit of nuance. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, like, we don't have to get, like, a Gabriel Garcia Marquez-style treatise on narrative and tropes, but I know, I know that his writing is going to get better, so... After this whole lecture, they get she gives like a pop quiz or like a not not a pop quiz, but she asks the class questions like about details about fairy tales and stuff. And Alex is the only one who answers, even when everyone else is you know just kind of like oh whatever. And I feel bad for Alex because like I did, I was the book kid. I was the kid who read everywhere she went. I was also the kid who drew in class all the time. And honey, I know it's gonna get better for you. But honey, sometimes you have to put down a book and talk to people and listen. And also there's a question of, like, what did Rumpelstiltskin want with the girl's firstborn son? And someone is like, Okay, did you eat the baby? And we then cut to the back of the classroom where Alex's twin brother, Connor, spelled with an E, because that is an important distinction. So he's like Connor from uh, Power Rangers Dino Thunder. Oh, wait, we'll have to bleep that. No, no, the, those, the Disney seasons were not Union. Oh, okay, cool. But Connor is asleep well, in the back. It's not that cool. Well, cool as an acceptance. Mean. Yes. Connor is asleep in the back of class. This is apparently a regular occurrence for him. Connor is funny and sarcastic and has social skills and does not test or study well. He sounds so, like a boy who's a brother in 2012. Yes, he does sound like a boy who's a brother in 2012. <laughs> And of course, they are horrifically embarrassed by each other. Alex is embarrassed that Connor sleeps all the time and never knows what's going on in class. And Connor is embarrassed because Alex literally will not shut up in class. Oh no. Like, they're not perfect. They're sixth graders. (laughs) Who among us is perfect in sixth grade? (laughs) And we see the rest of class, and then we get some, uh, some, like, little bits as they, like, get done with the school day and we learned that they have a grandma who they love a whole lot she's one of those she's a fun grandma she's the grandma who has like a cabin in the woods and they go and they take like adventure vacations to see their grandma and they go on hikes and everything and she loves them very much and she's a great cook and that they had such a great time going there when they were little with their whole family their mom and their dad and then they walk home at the end of the school day, and Mrs. Peters is like, Now I've been trying to be understanding about your family situation for the last year, but really, you just kind of need to get over it. Connor, your dad evaporated. Get over it. Yeah. And we learn on their walk home from school that that their dad used to own a bookstore, was a very kind and loving dad, and then was driving he was either driving home or walking home from the bookstore and was killed in a vehicular homicide <laughs> wait is that oh, is it oh, homicide if I, it's an accident i think it was just an accident a vehicular manslaughter either way yeah i forgot that he straight up died i, I was really like oh he disappeared yeah. but no he dead he no. dead for real no he is dead 
this pillar of the community who owned a local business. Yeah. And the teacher out here being like, I only believe in real books and your dad is a fucking scrub. (laughs) Get over it, he's dead. She never says that he was a scrub, she's just like... She certainly implied it. You need to get over your grief. Not that your dad... Your dad had value, but really you should be done with grieving by now. Sixth graders. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I know it's been a year, but I still feel like I'd be sending that teacher a phone call saying, Hey... Mm-hmm. My husband died and my kids are going, how, how many times have your parents died, lady, when you were a child? <laughs> Statistically. Were you ever a child? You sound like a, someone really bitter about losing your childhood. Maybe yeah. maybe someone should have comforted you when your parents died. I'm making this all up. But this is. <laughs> yeah. I don't think this teacher's an important character, but I'm over her. <laughs> yeah, somehow I'm willing to doubt the fact that Mrs. Peters will be a recurring character. In books going forward. Uh, when, when she says get over your grief, I don't think she's saying that affectionately. No. Maybe to Alex, but not to Connor. But as as they walk home, Alex and Connor have this discussion about her like, Oh, what are you going to write your school paper on fairy tales about? Which story are you going to pick? And he has a lot of very, like, 2011, 2012 internet takes about them. Oh, is he all random? Uh, kind of. is he out of the edge? Very, I I would say leaning more towards edgy. Like he says, the point of Sleeping Beauty is don't piss off your neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) And because if the king and queen had just invited that crazy enchantress to their daughter's party in the first place, none of that stuff would have ever happened. (laughs) Here's the thing. That is sometimes the the moral. (laughs) Yes. He's not off base for that one. (laughs) Yes. His intent seems to be a lot of these fairy tale characters are missing common sense. (laughs) Which is fair. And then, of course, this gets Alex real riled up. And she's like, that's not how the story goes! Oh no, she's a fairytale Puritan. I would say a literalist. (laughs) (laughs) And they walk home. They see their old house where they used to live before their dad died by car. It's been one year since dad exploded. Yeah. Their house, the one they grew up in, which is literally described as like, it was a house that looked happy. And it got sold um, because they could not afford it on a single person income and it got foreclosed. So they had to, literally, it was within within the span of probably like six months. Their dad died. Their house got foreclosed on. They had to move out into a small rental home. And their mom, who is a nurse in, I think, the pediatric ward at the local, well, She works at the children's hospital, so technically everything's a pediatric ward. (laughs) (laughs) But there's this whole thing about how, like, they have been deep in grief- Their whole family has been deep in grief and depression for a very long time. And money is incredibly tight, (laughs) so their mom is not around a whole lot because she has to work a lot of doubles and extra hours to be able to, you know, manage a household as a single-income household- (laughs) With two growing kids. And herself. Yeah. Which sucks. We get a couple of nice little flashbacks where we see their dad telling Alex the story of the curvy tree, which is basically where, like, oh, hey, there was this one pine tree that grew in a really twisty, turny, curvy way. And so it just looked kind of weird. But the time came when all of the woodcutters and uh, lumberjacks showed up to, you know, cut down all the trees and make planks and stuff. 
and they took all of the trees that were the same and, you know, ideal for logging, and they left the curvy tree, which is still there and still growing, so sometimes you just have to be weird, because you're right. And because it's okay. And then we get to see Connor being told the story of the walking fish, which is basically, there was a fish that lived in a pond who saw a bunch of kids playing on the shore every day, and the fish really wanted to be friends. So a fairy fell in the pond, and the fish rescued the fairy, and the fish said, I want to have legs so I can walk and be friends with the people on the shore. And the fairy said, sure. And then one of the kids who the fish became friends with fell in the pond and drowned because the fish couldn't save them. <laughs> so sometimes the moral of the story is, like, you have to work with what you have. Because wanting to be something else will just get people hurt. Does that make sense? Did I did I phrase that okay? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It's two different versions of be be yourself. Yeah, be yourself because there's no one else like you. But also, you could let me let me be Connor and twist these Aesops. Let me warp that Aesop. <laughs> the story of the Kirby tree is that if you're different, you're useless and you'll be left alone. And the story of the fish is that if you pursue your dreams. You will harm the ones you love. Yeah. This is now. This is not. I don't think that comes up in the text. I just want to be a contrarian. No. Yes. I just want to contribute to Christina. I sold the book. <laughs> the AMPTP has tricked me once again. Those devious bastards. <laughs> They're responsible for every ill of the world. They're like Ganondorf. <laughs> I real quick. I do have to mention here. That, like, when they get home from school, we see a bit about, like, what their bedrooms look like. You know, Alex's is full of books! And Connor's looks like a cave where he hibernates. <laughs> Which, that was me. I kept my room very dark because I really loved- because sleeping, great. And I still do that, but now I have blackout curtains. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely- I can tell at this age, Chris Colfer is like, Well, I'm attracted to men, but also, ugh, boys. They're so messy. <laughs> I also do have to mention that when he is describing Connor's bedroom, Chris Colfer does take specific mention of a half-eaten grilled cheese rested on the floor and had been there far too long for anyone's peace of mind. Grilled cheese lives! Oh my gosh, I heard the echo from that. <laughs> but yeah. Hashtag grilled cheeses lives. Spread the word. Yeah, truly. Uh, imagine all the bacterial cultures in that thing. <laughs> but yeah, that just delighted me. I was like, that one's for the people who found you by watching you on Glee. <laughs> we have a little conversation where their mom gets home from work because she is on her lunch break while working a double. And this is apparently really the only time of day where they see her because Ugh. she is like, here's the thing. I think there should be a strike of nurses next. Yes. Because... Nurses and medical professionals deserve good working conditions. And I'm not just saying that because my sister-in-law is a nurse. Listen, anyone who is- everyone should strike. Yes. Or not Not everyone should strike because striking isn't the goal, but everyone should endeavor for a union and make it very clear that striking's on the table. Mm-hmm. If the demands- the, the very reasonable demands of pay a living wage and hire enough people to run the business- Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Their little family has a nice little conversation where basically she's like, why are you guys so sad? And they're like, the house sold. 
Or like our house got sold, someone bought it. And this whole family, they're doing a big thing of, they're really trying to keep brave faces up for each other. And, you know, like, as soon as we catch up on our bills, we'll move into a bigger and better house. And <laughs> Mrs. Bailey is saying that. And the kids are like, Mom, we know you're lying, but we appreciate you're trying to make us feel better. Because <laughs> they're all depressed and they're all sad. <laughs> which is not, which is just the same thing twice. <laughs> They're not just depressed, they're also sad. Yeah. <laughs> the double whammy. Listen, it's fine. If I had if I had a dollar for every time my uncle has described something as different, but not the same. <laughs> You'd have a lot of nickels, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every time he said that, but he has to pay me in nickels. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alex mentions that Connor fell asleep in class again, and he says, oh, I have... I have my uh, rubber band trick that I do to keep myself awake, which is basically he keeps a rubber band around his wrist. And then if he's falling asleep, he will snap it against his wrist, (laughs) which is maybe not the best (laughs) way to stay awake in class. Yeah, because I tried this and here's the problem. When you're falling asleep, (laughs) you forget about the rubber band because you're asleep. Yeah. One time I fell asleep in class and really did just slam my head directly into my textbook. Oh no, Tanner. <laughs> and I never took a 7 a.m. class after that. Yeah. Really, there should be new rules for academia where, like, well, like no, no, because maybe, listen, I'm, like, later people, starts. A 7 a.m. class might be great for some people if they have, like, if they have it in their means to go to sleep early and wake up early. But me? Tanner? No. Bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> I was stretching my means of capability. Yeah. Food. We see real quickly that Mrs. Bailey gets a phone call because apparently tomorrow is the twins' 12th birthday and she had the whole day off work. But of course, the hospital is understaffed and I'm sure they're not paying their nurses enough. So she gets called in for, I'm assuming it will end up being a double on the twins' birthday. And they're like, no, we're going to be alone on our birthdays. We weren't really expecting anything special anyway. And... There's a nice sentence here where uh, it says, The situation made Mrs. Bailey feel like she was the worst mother in the world, and their understanding made her feel even worse. She would, ha- she would have much rather watched them throw a fit or get angry or show any emotions appropriate for their age. They were too young to be used to disappointment. Woof. Yeah, that, that's, that's a real one. <laughs> it is a real one. And... To cheer them up, she says, you know what your dad would say if he were here? He'd say, right now we're living in an ugly chapter of our lives, but books always get better. And they're like, sure, mom. But then they, uh, we see the next day where they'll do their presentations and everything. I'm like, hey, here's your book report on your fables. And Alex talks about Cinderella. And she says, it's not about a man saving a woman. It's about karma. And that as long as you have hope, everything can get better, basically. And I'm like, okay. And then Alex gives his talk, which is about the boy who cried wolf. And basically, he says the moral of the boy who cried wolf is pay attention to your kids and don't expect them to be perfect all the time. (laughs) I wonder if that moral is at all influenced by the fact that his mom has to work a double. Oh, I'm sure they're absolutely disconnected events. When they go home at the end of the day, they're like, oh, everything's gonna, we're just gonna have a regular day at home. 
And Alex is like, I think your book report was good, Connor. And he's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and they're like, hey, even if we aren't doing anything for our birthday, let's be optimistic. One more year and we'll be teenagers. <laughs> Four more years and we can drive. Six years and then we get to vote and go to college. <laughs> and that was all they could come up with. Hey, hey, you know, you know, uh, normal milestones? What if they happen to us eventually? Yeah, what if they were normal kids that had normal things happen to them? What if the time passed? But then it's time for a really nice thing to happen to them, which is they get home from school and their grandma has paid them a surprise visit. Yay! She is a great grandma. She is happy. She is nice. She shows up. And all she wears is like a, is like bright colors. Her hair is like braided back. Uh, she has a big. She always carries around like her big purse and everything. And she always wears her wedding ring because their grandpa has been dead for a long time. Apparently, sorry, we can't have a single alive dad in this book. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> at least so far, at least in the first half. Uh, and it turns out that apparently their mom called her to ask her to stay with the kids for their birthday because she has to be at work and she's like come on in like help me bring stuff in but don't look in the presents and they're like presents (laughs) you know like normal sixth graders and of course you know she shows up but is like well i was i'm planning on cooking the twins a huge birthday dinner and while i was at the grocery store i picked up a couple more things which means of course that she bought them groceries for like a month and a half And also, because she's an awesome grandma, she's like, let me just go ahead and I'm gonna take these unpaid bills, put them in my bag, and I'll I'll take care of it. Grandma's got it. Which is just really sweet. Yeah. And there's this nice little part where Mrs. Bailey says, like, like, you've already helped us so much. Like, I don't even know where we'd be right now if it weren't for you. I could never ask you for anything else. And grandma says, you're not asking, I'm offering. Which is... I think a really nice turn of phrase, and I'm probably going to end up using that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially when, you know, it is hard to articulate your own needs, and asking for help is difficult sometimes. Yeah. And so then Alex and Connor have the best birthday dinner ever. She cooks them plates of mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese, oven-roasted chicken with carrots and peas, and freshly baked rolls. Carb. Heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And then just when they thought they couldn't possibly eat anymore, their grandma produces a huge birthday cake from out of the oven. I am assuming that it came out of the oven fully, fully decorated and iced and everything. Yep. (laughs) She just manifested it. Yeah, she manifested it. And they open their presents and Alex has copies of her favorite books in different languages. Connor gets candy and tacky t-shirts that say things like, My crazy grandma traveled to India and all I got was this lousy (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. And they both get little, like, tchotchkes of, like, monuments that she's traveled to because what she does when she's not there visiting them is she globetrots, which is honestly the dream. Like, I wish I had enough income to be able to travel the world. I wish I had enough income that I wouldn't need to worry about taking time off work and losing income to be able to visit people. Wish I had enough income I could pull a fully formed cake out of the oven. <laughs> Big same. But yeah, and they they have a nice night and everything, and she like puts them to bed and like wishes them good night and everything, because she does have to head out first thing the next morning. But before she goes, she gives Alex in particular a special thing 
which is a book entitled The Land of Stories. Oh my gosh, it's just like the book that we're reading! Title drop, we can end the episode here. (laughs) Or no, she gives it to both of the twins, but Alex is the one who, like, holds on to it. Because this is the book that they read from when they were little kids. Like, it's been a family heirloom for a very long time. And they're like, we are way too young to have this family heirloom, Grandma. And she's like, I've memorized all of them, it's okay. It's important to you and you should keep it. You've memorized the entire book. Hey... She she might be a grandma, but my my impression is that she's a grandma, but she's like a grandma in like in like her late fifties, early sixties. She is a vivacious grandma. That's this isn't an age joke. This is you memorized an entire book. That's difficult yeah, for anybody. That is fair and true. <laughs> Alex takes the book to bed with her, and she's reading it, and she's like. Wow, all the characters in this book of fairy tales are my best friends because I don't have any friends in real life. And I'm like, oh, honey, <laughs> honey. Hey, Christina, at this point, I got to ask. Is Yeah. Okay, I was gonna, actually, I was going to ask if this was your inspiration for Sophie in Binary Break. But I think, <laughs> I think somehow Chris Colfer was inspired by you retroactively. <laughs> Sophie and Alex are very similar. Kind of, yes, kind of, no. Sophie has friends. <laughs> In real life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I will take the compliment. And Alex is like, well, I just want to, I wish we could choose which world we lived in. I wish I could travel in this book and be friends with all the characters in the book. And I mean, whomst among us has not wished that at some point. Yeah. And then as she goes to bed, the book starts like humming and buzzing. It's getting a text. <laughs> well, see, literally, you, you say that, Tanner, but then we see a montage of like the next week where Alex just starts acting really weird, and in that, she stops answering questions in class, and apparently uh, she loses all of her pencils, so, like, she has to to ask Connor for one when they get home from work, and she's ostensibly doing her homework, and she's just hiding in her room all the time, and he's like, don't you have hundreds of pencils? And she's like, I've lost them. And... (laughs) This this keeps up to the point where she is no longer responding, in, or she is no longer engaging in class, and she falls asleep in the middle of a lesson, and then her backpack starts humming, and Connor is like, what's that? Excuse me? And Alex is like, I have to go to the bathroom, and takes her backpack with her to the bathroom. So it's like, Connor is like, oh, she's having girl problems. <laughs> and because they're twins and they're siblings- he follows her out of class and to the bathroom, where it turns out that she has brought the Land of Stories to school with her, and it is glowing and humming. <laughs> and she tells the book, please turn off, I'm at school, I can't get caught with you here. <laughs> and Connor is like, see, I thought that mom gave you a cell phone and she just didn't tell me, because he'd been hearing the humming, like, through the adjoining wall between their bedrooms. <laughs> And he's like, but then I was like, who would be texting you? Like, you don't have any friends. You don't have anyone to text you. And she's like, <sighs> and the narrative was like, this was rude, but also true. And then it turns out that they open the book. Well, Alex opens the book to show Connor what's going on. And there is no more text on the pages because the book is glowing. <laughs> like, we are talking incandescent. And they're like, what are we going to do? And Alex is like, uh, we're gonna worry about it when we get home. And so they go back to class. 
And then the book starts humming again. And the teacher this time is able to hear the humming. It's gotten that loud. And she's like, whatever that noise is, it's got to stop or I'm going to take it. Whatever that device is, whatever is making the humming, I'm going to take it. I hope she grabs the book and it blows her up. (laughs) Uh, no. She's like walking up to Alex's desk where, you know, her book bag is making, is, sounds like there's a lot of bees in there. And (laughs) from the back of the class, Connor throws a history book at the teacher's head and hits her in the head. Bro! Or specifically, he hits her in her poofy, probably hairsprayed to death up to. Like. Okay. That's a little less. Listen, okay. I know I was joking, but whipping a book at someone is a lot. And I know, I know he's doing it to protect his sister. It just feels so visceral. Yeah. He, like, apparently he threw the book at her so hard that it made a dent in her hair. Of course, he gets detention for this. Um, for, you know, assaulting his teacher. Yeah. And the narrative has something like, he might not have done the right thing as a student, but he did the right thing as a brother. And I'm like, you are going to be facing in-school suspension, probably. Yeah. So he has to stay late after cl- after school to, like, get his detention slips. And it is multiple, because she hands him, and I quote, a large stack of detention slips. And Mrs. Peters says, your mom has to sign every single one of these. You're going to have detention for a week and a half. And then Connor realizes, like, oh, oh, I forgot to mention something. Because, like, when the book has been, like, glowing and everything, Alex has been doing tests and science because she's just been, like, putting things on top of the book or dropping it into the book, into the land of stories, and they've just been disappearing into the book. So she's been losing sleep because she's been running experiments all night. (laughs) Oh, fascinating. And Connor is like, wait, Alex already went home with the book. She's going to try to go into the book. And so he runs home, finds her examining the book, arm deep in it. Like, <laughs> like she put her arm in this book up to the shoulder. Like, is there anything inside here? How does this work? And then he kicks the door open and Connor's like, Alex, holy fuck. And she gets so she gets so shocked and surprised that she falls into the land of stories, literally. <laughs> and then big good brother, Connor, also jumps into the book to follow his sister, which is nice. Christina, these two are so they're so Sophie and Jordy coded. <laughs> Real Actually, qu- hang on, hang on. Didn't hasn't Chris Colfer said that he based the siblings off of himself and his sister? Maybe? I feel like I read that at some point. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't even know that he had a sister. (laughs) I hope I'm not making this all up whole cloth. (laughs) Let's see if I can find that. I mean, look, I would absolutely not be surprised. Author inserts are a time-honored and venerable tradition, in Kidlet especially. Well, TV Tropes has a spoiler-tagged section for an author avatar in-universe, but I think we can probably rest assured that this is, in fact, based on Chris Colfrey and his sister. Yeah, I don't think that would be a big stretch. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it does say on Wikipedia that when he was seven, his younger sister was diagnosed with epilepsy, mm. and that while he craved attention from his parents, he diverted to his sister's health, and as a coping mechanism, he retreated into his imagination and began writing fairy tales. Mm. So actually, yeah, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that Alex is his is Chris Colesworth's sister and Connor is Chris. Or rather, Chris not knowing how to do sexuality stuff yet, probably at this time, 
He's probably like, mm, I better make Connor the opposite of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the land of stories. How far in are we so far? Uh, chapter five uh, out of the nine chapters that I read. Okay. Somehow this has taken us an hour. <laughs> it's a lot of side tangents. And also I will try to be more concise with I my mean, summaries. <laughs> yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have to rush if you don't feel like you can. I'm just mm -hmm. surprised. <laughs> yeah. Also, a big part of the beginning was us talking about unions and strikes. <laughs> that that is also fair. So we cut back to we cut into the land of stories where uh, Connor and Alex have successfully isekied themselves into the book. They really did. They really did, and they land in the middle of this big forest, and they're like, "What just happened?" And Alex looks around, and she's like, "Oh, hey, here's all of the stuff I've been dropping into the land of stories." For the last week. <laughs> Here's my backpack. Here are all of the pencils that I dropped. Here are my dirty socks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sweetheart. Like, pick up your litter, please. <laughs> <laughs> and Connor has a, has a justified breakdown about how the fact that they are in a book. They do not know how to get home. Their mom is going to be bereft. Incredibly sad. And he just wants to get home to his mom. Because he feels really bad. And they end up having to hide because a bunch of knights ride by and destroy all the pencils. So, sorry, uh, you'll have to start the, the Ticonderoga Pencil Company yourself, I guess. <laughs> and they find that there is a wanted poster nailed to a nearby tree that says, Wanted, dead or alive, Goldilocks, for burglary, thievery, and running from the law. And this is when I was like, is this going to say, like, oh, all the stories in the land of stories are now grim, dark, and edgy? But so far, that doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing this poster makes Alex realize that they are, in fact, in the land of stories. And Connor is, like, about to pull his hair out by the roots because <laughs> he is so stressed. And Alex is like, this is the best day ever! <laughs> Finally! Finally! My hyperfixation can be useful! And as they're sitting there in the middle of this woods, like, freaking out, they are greeted by a frog in a waistcoat. <laughs> or, excuse me, in a, a frog in a dapper three-piece suit. And he's basically like, uh, you guys okay? And they're like, we are from very far away! Where are we? And then he's like, uh, okay. Okay, you are in the you are in the dwarf forest and it is almost sundown and we should find we should get to cover because it gets dangerous here after dark. And Alex is like, yeah, let's go with this frog. And Connor is like, stranger danger, stranger danger. <laughs> but they end up getting to the frog's house and he welcomes them in to this nice little hut with lots of books. It's under a hill. And they even say, like, oh, well, we're having our Mr. Tumnus moment. And Connor <laughs> is like, if he, if he brings out Turkish delight, we are running. <laughs> and they have, a nice they have a nice conversation with the frog, who agrees to let them call him Froggy. And I'm like, I'm glad he's okay with it. But it turns out that he used to be a very vain young man. And then a witch put him under a curse. So now he's been a frog in a three-piece suit for a very long time. Ain't that just the way. Ain't that just the way. Sometimes you just get turned into a frog. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us and to the worst of us. 
should happen to more of the worst of us. <laughs> they have a nice conversation about like, hey, how did you get here? And they're like, uh, we kind of just got here. And they introduce themselves and Froggy is like, oh, are you the Alex Bailey as in this book belongs to Alex Bailey? Because Alex was dropping her own books into the book and Froggy found them and took them back to his house where he's just been, he's been reading all her books and he's like, wow, this is a book about cars. What's a car? (laughs) And I think that's, I think that's kind of fun. And we get some info dump about how Basically, the land of stories has, like... So technically, there's nine kingdoms and one unincorporated territory. Okay. Yeah. So it's one off from the other book series that I doubt Chris Colfer read before writing this, which is probably for the best. But basically, it's like, oh, hey, all of the different kingdoms are ruled by the protagonists of all of your favorite stories. And they're all ruled over by the Happily Ever After Assembly, which is basically just... All of the fairies that are in charge of the fairy tale United Nations, essentially. And the whole time, Alex is like, this is so cool! Like, all of my favorite fairy tale characters are alive and they exist. And <laughs> Cinderella and King Charming are gonna have a baby! And also, we get some exposition about how, like, there's a lot, like, the fairy tales are all true. But also, like, Red Riding Hood's kingdom had this whole, like, issue with wolf racism or, like, wolf (laughs) xenophobia. Like, the people of Red Riding Hood's kingdom were being attacked by evil packs of wolves. And they were so afraid that they seceded from the rest of their kingdom and literally put up a big brick wall around their kingdom. (laughs) So that no wolves could ever get them ever again. Ah, uh, bricks. The wolves' only weakness. <laughs> I mean, probably literally. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm sure that's where it's going. Yeah, because you know Three Little Pigs. I do know Three Little Pigs. This is also where we get the news that Snow White's evil stepmother, the evil queen, has escaped from prison. And so everyone is on the lookout for the evil queen because... She's been imprisoned for years and probably is hankering for some revenge. <laughs> and they're like, we just, well, they, meaning the kids, they're like, we just, like, sorry, you're dealing with this. We really just want to get back home to our mom. And it's yeah. kind of a different world. Would you believe that we're from a different world? And Froggy is like, yes, I read your books. I don't know what a car is. <laughs> I believe you're from a different world. Yeah. And he mentions that. We have, we, in the land of stories, they have their own silly kid stories. And one of them is about the wishing spell. It is a legendary spell comprised of a list of items. And apparently when you put the items together, you are granted one wish. So, you know, it's the hair, like the hair of gold, the the whole thing from Into the Woods. <laughs> I forget the litany. <laughs> Hang on, let me... The cow is white as milk, the cape as red as blood, the hair as yellow as corn, the slipper as pure as gold. And a couple other things, but that's <laughs> base that that's basically it. Two cups of sugar, three eggs. <laughs> Quart of motor oil. <laughs> Some cilantro for flavor. Ugh. Oh no, do you have the soap gene? Ki- only a little bit, but I, I will eat something if it has cilantro in it, as long as the cilantro is not the star of the dish. Don't even get me started on coriander. 
But yeah, Froggy is like, so I have, I have this journal that I picked up a while ago, written by someone who, who apparently got the wishing spell to work, and he kept notes on everything that he needed to get it done. So you can take the journal if you want to go on this quest to, to do the wishing spell. And they're like, why didn't you use the wishing spell to become a human again? And he's like, I am too embarrassed of the fact that I am a frog. I'm a frog. Yeah. And like, fair. And they invite him to come along with them. And he's like, ah, there's still the frog thing. (laughs) But he does send them off the next morning with, you know, a hug and a well wish and a bag of provisions, which is very nice of him. And he does give them actual things to eat instead of dead flies and lily pads. Despite all my rage, I am still just a frog in a cage. (laughs) They go on their journey. They try to get out of the dwarf woods, which is where they are. And Connor is like, cool, we're going to go find all, we're going to go on the scavenger hunt and we're going to get everything. And then we're going to go home and mom will be okay because we won't have worried her and we'll get back as soon as we can. And Alex is like, actually... I want to sightsee. I want to see my best <laughs> friends Cinderella and Rapunzel and Snow White. Oh no, she's got parasocial relationships with them. <laughs> she she does. <laughs> and DeConnor's like, why? We can't. <laughs> think about, Alex, think about mom. <laughs> and then they're walking and Connor's like, wait, I smell something. It's gingerbread. Because, of course, they have found the gingerbread house belonging to the gingerbread witch. And, of course, Alex has no self-preservation. It's like, let's go inside. I want to see the house. And Connor is like, do the words Hansel and Gretel cannibalism incident mean nothing to you? (laughs) But they end up getting to the house despite Connor's protests. And they find the witch, who looks, from the description, ill. (laughs) Oh no, she hasn't been eating it. Like, Chris Colfer describes her as... Her skin was wrinkled and pale with a yellowish tint. Her eyes were bloodshot and bulged out of her head. She was hunched over and had an enormous hump on her back. I mean, like, that last part is like, eh. But the rest of it, she sounds like she has a serious vitamin deficiency. (laughs) And she's like, Hello, little children! Would you care to join me for a bite to eat? And Alex is like, Uh, we're just passing by! You have a lovely home! We have to go meet someone. And like, he includes, like, Chris Colfer includes a mention that like, the hand that the witch is beckoning to them with has like, burn scars. (laughs) Implying that she somehow managed to survive the story of Hansel and Gretel. Which is like, that's metal as hell. (laughs) And as they go, or as they are trying to leave, Connor, they're, they're kind of like, bantering back and forth. And... Connor asks, like, well, she makes a fat joke about Connor. And he's like, I'm not fat. I just always get pudgy whenever I have a growth spurt. And he asks Alex if she still has her kidnapping whistle, which delighted me. (laughs) But she also can magically change size because Connor asks, like, why would you want your victims chubby anyway? Like, wouldn't it be healthier if they were muscular and fit? And she's like, huh, I hadn't considered that. And... Connor says, if you ask me, you should turn your gingerbread house into a gingerbread gym and health club. And the witch is like, cool, I'll build that as soon as I'm finished with you. And then 
Alex says, wait, you owe him. And Alex is like, he gave you an idea, so you owe him a wish. And they're like, the fuck you say? (laughs) That's not wish law. No, that's not wish law. But Alex says that the happily ever after assembly just enacted a new law. Any witch presented with a good idea must return the favor by granting a wish. And they're like, oh man, you better, you better follow the new wish law. Otherwise, Mother Goose will come down here and you don't want to deal with Mother Goose's angry geese. (laughs) And the witch is like, ah, fine, I hate geese. So I'll give you one wish. And Connor's wish is that the gingerbread witch would become a vegetarian. Oh, got him. And Alex is like, this is the stupidest wish ever. And then the witch like does some magic to grant Connor's wish. And they like try to get away from like the magic. But then apparently the witch's hump faded away. The yellowish tint of her skin disappeared and her bloodshot eyes calmed. I've lost my appetite, the witch said. She shrugged her shoulders, turned away from Alex and Connor and walked into the gingerbread house, slamming the door behind her. Is gingerbread vegan? Uh, I don't think it's vegan, because I think you do have to use eggs. But he said vegetarian, not vegan. Oh, okay. And I like the I like the idea of, like, I, I use the wish spell to cast become vegetarian. <laughs> Invoke vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. And so then they hustle on their way out of the forest. I did a Google to see if Chris Colfer is vegetarian, and it doesn't look like he is. But apparently there is a website called Grub Street that is about what celebrities eat. Huh. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. In July of 16, it was reported that Chris Colfer can't pass up anything covered with avocado. Congratulations. You know, just like a fucking millennial. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm a bad millennial. I don't like avocado. (laughs) I hate avocado. I don't care. I've tried guac and I've tried other ways of preparing it. It just does not work for me. It tastes like grass. And it feels... Ugh. Yeah. I will, I'll give her props. It's clearly a fruit that was designed to be turned into some kind of dipping sauce, but... Yes, yeah. This fruit was like, I'm going to be a spread one day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. As the kids are on their way out of the dwarf forest, they end up uh, running into a combat encounter. By which I mean, they are bystanders to Goldilocks, the outlaw... Who has a big sword and a horse named Porridge. Yes. And they find Goldilocks being attacked by a big group of wolves led by a wolf named Malumclaw. You know, Bad Claw. His claws are so bad. Apparently. And Alex and Connor have a freak out about how oh, it's Goldilocks. Oh, the wolves here talk. <laughs> and Goldilocks does a big sword swing at a lot of the wolves and defeats them all and they all run away swearing vengeance of course and connor is like wow you can wield a sword and you're a girl that's so cool never seen a girl with a sword before chris colfer has never watched anime and neither have these children (laughs) true but goldilocks does say like thanks for helping out here take this dagger and get out of the woods as soon as you can so they have a they have a dagger now and then they end up they end up back on the road. They end up in Rapunzel's kingdom where they find Rapunzel's tower. And because Alex is dedicated to preserving the narrative, Alex is like, I have to see Rapunzel's tower. And then 
She proceeds to free climb up the exterior of Rapunzel's tower like she is Link in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> she has no safety lines, she has no harness, she has no belayer, but by god she climbs this tower. And then she gets inside the tower, finally, she is safe, and Hi Alex, says a voice inside the tower, because it turns out that Connor was reading like the journal, the wishing spell journal or whatever. And apparently, after Rapunzel was freed from the tower, she had it renovated and put in a staircase, which was accessed from the back of the tower that Alex didn't look for. Fucking get it, kid. (laughs) So they end up spending the night there, and they read the journal more, where basically it details that the writer of this journal had been to another world, which is implied to be Alex and Connor's world, and he fell in love with someone from... Alex and Con was someone from the other world and wants to get back there. And to do so, he is going to complete the wishing spell. After having gone on a whole long quest of finding the traveling tradesman, who was apparently the only one with knowledge of where to get the ingredients for the wishing spell, and this witch named Hagatha. And Hagatha was the one who told the journal writer the list of ingredients. And she says that the ingredients for the wishing spell are glass that housed a lonely soul up till midnight's final toll, a saber from the deepest sea meant for a groom's mortality, the bark of a basket held in fright while running from a bark with bite, a stony crown that's made to share found deep within a savage lair, a needle that pierced the lovely skin of a princess with beauty found within, a wavy lock of golden rope that once was freedom's only hope, glittering jewels whose value increased after preserving the false deceased, and teardrops of a maiden fairy feeling neither magical nor merry. So the rhyme scheme could use a little bit of work, but it's not bad. It's no cow white as milk, cape red as blood, hair as yellow as gold, and super pure as slope. Mm-hmm. But it gets the job done. It does, it does. And uh, luckily, since they're in Rapunzel's tower... Um, apparently she shed a lot, so they can just grab some hair off the floor and be good to go. (laughs) Some nasty floor hair. Yeah. And they managed to deduce that the other ingredients are Cinderella's slipper, part of Red Riding Hood's basket, Sleeping Beauty's magic spindle, jewels from Snow White's uh, glass casket, and fairy tears, and... They are unsure about the saber from the deepest sea meant for Grimm's mortality, which I'm assuming is going to be the knife or sword that uh, the Little Mermaid was supposed to kill Prince Eric with, like, in order to not become seafoam. Exactly. And the stony crown that's made to share found deep within a savage lair. I'm not sure what that is. Might be an original one. And I think that's all of them. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, well, now we have to head out across the whole land of stories. So they figure they'll head to, uh, or no, first we get an interlude. Because you remember the evil queen? You remember Snow White's evil stepmother? Yes. Well, we have a whole, is it a whole chapter, actually? Yeah, we have a whole chapter that's just dedicated to her. She found a free castle that was unoccupied and moved in. And she, she calls up her huntsman who is very apologetic at having betrayed her wishes by letting Snow White live back when, you know, the evil queen asked the huntsman to murder her preteen stepdaughter. Yeah. (laughs) And he is unhealthily obsessed with her, but he's also very old. The evil queen is like, I want you to 
go across the land and find me the ingredients for the wishing spell, which the magic mirror, which she also took with her when she broke out of the castle jail. The magic mirror just tells her all the ingredients and the huntsman is like, I am too old to go get you all the things that you need. But luckily, I have a daughter who is, you know, young and athletic and can help you get things. Also, she doesn't talk. Like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if she's selectively mute or if she is just unable to speak or it could be a magic thing. I don't know. I'll find out. Yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah. They're like, cool, let's go get some revenge. (laughs) And also there's some ominous stuff with the evil queen's stone heart. I'm like, okay, we'll figure out what that is later, I guess. And then the last chapter that I read is uh, Alex and Connor getting to Cinderella's kingdom. As they are on their way there, uh, they have to pass over a bridge where, of course, they meet a bridge troll. And Alex is like, a bridge troll tells riddles! And she's like, I want to answer a riddle. And Connor is like, I am not answering a riddle. And so the bridge troll gives Alex the riddle of what can be small as a pea or as large as the sky and is not owned by the person who purchases it. Would you like to guess? (laughs) You can't buy Yes, you can. You can buy it now for for $9.99, your local Walmart. (laughs) Oh, wait, shit, that's a movie. Bleep it. (laughs) (laughs) So while Alex is trying to figure out the answer to this riddle given by the troll, who she tries to call Mr. Bridge Troll, Connor is like, nope, I'm not answering a riddle. I'm just going to (laughs) walk across the river. It's only waist deep, Alex. It's fine. (laughs) And then by the time that Alex has finished answering the riddle, the answer to which is apparently a present, because it can be large or small, and the receiver is the one who owns it, not the one who purchases it. But by the time she gives this riddle and finishes crossing the bridge, Connor is already on the other side of the river waiting for her. (laughs) I mean, you know, soaked to the waist, but he didn't have to answer a riddle. He just crossed the river himself. (laughs) (laughs) And the bridge troll kind of goes like, Well, you know what? That's what you get for setting up shop on top of a wasty river. You get the sense the bridge troll is kind of like, ah, shucks. (laughs) But they end up getting to the- they make their way successfully to Cinderella's kingdom, where they're having a ball. Because their kingdom has had a ball every month since Cinderella and her prince got married. (laughs) Because they're just celebrating the way they met, I guess. (laughs) I'm not gonna worry about the economics of the situation, because Chris Colfer doesn't. And they find out that, oh, it's been a it's been a pretty quiet place. Like, we don't really have much, like, civil unrest or anything. Like, Cinderella and King Charming, because he's king now. His dad died. Sorry, bud. Another dead dad! <laughs> <laughs> That's three! Count them! Three dead dads! <laughs> but as they go, like, they learn about the kingdom. It's peaceful. Everyone is nice. Cinderella had to overcome uh, some bad opinions because she was you know, a peasant marrying into royalty, but she's really won everyone over. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> and they, they're they like, oh, we have to get into Cinderella's, like, now that we're in Cinderella's kingdom, we have to get into Cinderella's castle and into her royal display room, which is where she keeps, like, all of her stuff, that all of the significant items from when she had her fairy tale happen. Like, you have to get in there, and you have to be in there 
alone so that you can take a slipper for the spell without being caught. And so Alex and Connor are like, Let's just let's just take our sleeping blankets and drape them around ourselves so they look like robes. And that'll be good enough to get us in, you know, to the big fancy ball that's happening. <laughs> and so they they do their best to like, you know, they walk in, they walk in the front door because apparently when Cinderella became queen, she had all of the servants' entrances and exits removed from the castle because she wanted everybody to enter and exit the castle as equals. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, maybe there's other ways that you could have done that, but sure. Appreciate the intent. <laughs> and then they try to get inside and the guards at the entrance are like, basically like, oh, sorry, we can't have any unaccompanied minors coming to the ball. There is, you know, probably alcohol here. Sound each other's shoulders. They'll never know. <laughs> no, see, they resort to a different ploy where Connor pulls a, do you know who our parents are? Our parents? <laughs> like, you're gonna kick out the heirs to the wishing well fortune? Our parents invented wishing wells. We have so much money. And These kids are on a lying tour of this fantasy land. And I, I mean, literally. This. Literally. And the guards are kind of like, mm, oh, come on, we're not buying it, kid. But there was one guard who the narrative is like, he kept looking at the kids like they, like, like he recognized them, but not like in a mean way or a weird way, just like a, huh, you look like somebody that I know, kind of a way. And the nice guard is like, oh, I definitely know your parents are inside. I'll take them to you. Come on in. And they're like, oh, shit, it worked. <laughs> and... The guard's name is Lampton. <laughs> sure, I guess. Okay. But he's like, you're sneaking into the palace, aren't you? And they're like, oh, please don't throw us in the dungeons. And he's like, I'm not going to throw you in the dungeons, but I'm going to take you on a tour of the castle. And he takes them on a nice little tour and everything. And like the whole time Alex is like, you know, about to break into tears because it's her, because they're in Cinderella's goddamn castle. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, swear words are my own. And they're like, wow, you were you were a guard when Cinderella's fairy tale happened and she met the prince for the first time. And he's like, it was so cool. She was very pretty. And then we see, you know, like the start of the ball and like, oh, Cinderella and Queen Cinderella and King Charming are there. And like Cinderella is very heavily pregnant at this point. <laughs> so they're not dancing. They're just hanging out on the dais. And King Charming is like, wow, I love my wife so much. And then they get, they leave the ball and they get the rest of their tour. They learn that the palace was built 500 years ago and it's been home to the Charming dynasty since then. So Charming is their last name. The previous king was King Chester Charming. Oh boy. The current King Charming is King Chance Charming. His younger brothers are Chase Charming who married Sleeping Beauty. Their third brother is Chandler Charming, who married Snow White. Could I be any more charming? And their youngest brother, their youngest brother, get this, is Charlie Charming, who disappeared and has not been seen in a very long time. Everyone is very wow, sad about it. Wow, I wonder it. if we'll see him again. I wonder if we'll see him again. I wonder if he'll be revealed to have been a major character the entire time. Oh, I'm sure that would never happen. Not in a fairy tale. And then uh, they're like, 
oh, well, since when they were trying to find their missing youngest brother, that's when Chase and Chandler ended up meeting Snow White and Rapunzel. And so there was no, there were no eligible princesses for Chance to marry, so that's when they had the ball and Cinderella happened. And there, then Sir Lampton, who has been escorting them, is like, let's just go see the fancy royal regalia room. And they're like, well, especially Alex is like, wow, this is all so cool. And then from the back of the room, they hear like, oh, I also think they're really cool. And it's Cinderella, Queen Cinderella, who's been hanging out in this room the whole time. Maybe not waiting for them because like she'd previously left the wall because, you know, heavily pregnant. Not really the best time to be partying. <laughs> but she gives Alex and Connor like her personal tour around like this is all her fancy stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, like here's the broom and mop and bucket that I danced with when I was little and cleaning my stepmother's house and pretending to be at a ball myself. Like, here are the raggedy old clothes that my fairy godmother turned into a beautiful ball gown. They turn back into a ball gown whenever my fairy godmother visits. <laughs> And then she has, like, a nice little enclosure where she keeps her mice, which are specifically, like, her mice friend's descendants. But they have a very nice little, like, enclosure with a glass recreation of the castle to, you know, hang around in. And she's like, they're very nice and cute. And like, yes, mice are good. Rats are also good, but there's no rats in Cinderella, just mice. <laughs> and then finally, there's the glass slippers, and Alex gets to hold a glass slipper. And the whole time Connor is like, steal it, steal it, steal it, steal it, steal it. <laughs> but Cinderella is like, she has this whole monologue about how like, yeah, everyone is like, there's no easy ending to a story like you get at the end of a fable. Like, yeah, I married the prince and then everyone thought I was stupid. People called me the pumpkin princess or the mouse monarch <laughs> when they found out how I, how I ended up marrying a prince and becoming eventually a queen. And she's like, but I had to earn the kingdom's respect. And I'm like, you know, I like that. And when being a public monarch is a lot, I just come in here and I hang out and I have some quiet time. And I remember how I got here. And like, you can never please anyone or you can never please everyone. And Alex is like, well, here's your slipper back. And Connor is like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> And then they have they get called back to the ballroom because the people from Snow White's kingdom are here like, hey, the evil queen broke out. So let us know if you hear any intel on where she is or what's going on. Thanks. Bye. And so the twins end up having to leave early. But then on their way out, literally on a cart out of town, they find one of Cinderella's slippers in their bag. They don't know how it got there because they certainly didn't take it. But... That is as far as I got in the Land of Stories. It is fun. It is interesting. Yeah, it's, like I said, I remember it being a good book that just didn't make as much of an impact on me at the time. Mm -hmm. I do remember it doing some fun twists on the fairy tales and whatnot, which I always love a twisted fairy tale. I cannot necessarily mm -hmm. cite my sources on that because they're struck works. <laughs> I don't know, I guess except for, I guess Never After. I didn't watch, I only watched clips of Never After. And I liked a lot of the stuff that happened in it. That's the Dimension mm -hmm. 20 show. Ah, okay. And also the Eldraine setting for Magic the Gathering is fairy tale based. Oh, nice. And they've got, they don't twist the things as much as just things happen. They're clearly inspired by fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they do just have the straight up, the, the, the Snow Queen is one of the main characters in the upcoming set. Mm. 
It's fairy tales. They're public domain. You don't have to file the serial numbers off. Oh, yeah. Which is great. <laughs> I don't know. I think I like... I think one thing that I really enjoy about the Land of Stories so far is I really like the realistic post-game of... Or getting to see, like, what realistically happened, like, after the fairy tales completed. Like, yeah, of course Rapunzel... Like, if Rapunzel would not bulldoze the tower to the ground, like, yeah, she'd put in the staircase. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cinderella would have to actually, like, win the approval of the populace, and she was able to do so. And yes, bricks would be super effective against wolves. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You can just make people be a vegetarian. Um, Yeah, I also, I really like what they do with the Sleeping Beauty when they get to Sleeping Beauty. Mm Mm-hmm. I I think that's in like two chapters. I think the red I think the red riding hood one is next. Yeah. I mean, you're halfway through. So at this point it's going to go it's pretty much like a tale per chapter, I think. Yeah, yeah. Also, I didn't like or no. I I will read the acknowledgments at the back of the book when we do the second episode on this. Yeah. I did read the acknowledgments ahead of time and they're super cute. Well, that's nice. Mhm. Also, one other thing I thought about is that with all of these fairy tale retellings of like we went to the other world and the fairy tales were real. It always amuses me to like, yes, and these fairy tales happened about 20 years ago. They've been in our world for hundreds of years, but they happened mm-hmm. just long enough ago that important people could have teenage to grown-up children. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of like that, though. Uh, that's always bugged me. Like, at least a, a, a certain show that came out in 2000, a certain miniseries, at least that one had the decency to say that everyone was descendants of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's... Yes. Gotcha. Everyone, I hope you figure out from context clues what films we're talking about. <laughs> films and TV shows. But yeah, that's that's the show. That's the book. That's half the book. Here's a card I hope I get in the next Eldraine set. The Goose Mother? The Goose Mother! It's a bird hydra. Oh my hydra. god, it's the bird hydra! This is what y'all were talking about. <laughs> I hadn't seen the Goose Mother before. Oh, is this a white, blue, black card? No, it's blue-green. Blue-green, gotcha. Nice. The cacophony that the goose mother must create wherever she goes. (laughs) Once the whole set has been revealed, I'm going to create a deck that's called Untitled Goose Deck. (laughs) Oh, I love that, Tanner. I have a fun story about geese, actually. Do you want to share it on the podcast or do you want to share it after? (laughs) No, I can share it on the podcast and it can be either cut content or blooper or whatever. Okay, tell the geese story and then we should probably wrap things up. Yes, yeah. Uh, super quick. The geese story is uh, at work. We have a like. There's an outdoor walking path that you know we can go hang out at when it's not hellish outside, <laughs> and it is kind of like there's a fence around the I guess the property, but uh, on the other side of the fence is a big drainage pond where usually there is quite a large group of Canadian geese that will just hang out and you know menace the ducks and stuff. <laughs> And a couple weeks ago, when it was not hellish outside, uh, my coworkers and I were on a walk, and we saw this, like, evenly spaced line of Canadian geese that were all waiting their turn to get into the drainage pond by walking under a part of the fence that had been curled up. I cannot, I cannot overestimate how much there was this waiting line of geese maintain, like, equidistant from each other waiting to walk under the fence and into the pond. And I'm like, they have wings. They could just fly over the fence. But no, they were waiting their goddamn turns to walk into the drainage pond. 
They're very orderly geese. Apparently. Like, I wish they would be maybe a little bit more orderly in where they decide to poop because they always poop on the sidewalks <laughs> instead of, you know, in the grass. And I'm sick of having to step over goose poop. But yeah, <laughs> waiting line of geese. <laughs> Bizarre. One time me and my friends are going on a walk in the, around the park and there is several families of geese crossing the street. And when I say the street, I mean the street. Like, we were at a part of the park that was next to a fairly busy street. And traffic was backed up because there were so many geese and goslings crossing. Oh, man. I bet that was adorable, though. <laughs> it was. But also, we're like, okay, they've got babies and they're moving. So ever keep, like, a five feet of distance. <laughs> Anyways, I started, so you get to lead us out. All right. Oh, real quick before we do close out, if you want something to listen to that is not about struck work, Tanner and I are both part of a new Digimon actual play podcast. It is called Digimon Binary Break, and uh, in addition to the two of us, it also involves a lot of former guests of the show, and it is a real fun time, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of my friends, and I want everyone yeah. to listen to it and say good things about my friends who are all doing very good work. And and yeah, and I'm in the pilot and I'm with helping with behind the scenes stuff. And Christina plays Sophie, who, as we've discussed on this episode, is very similar to Alex from Land of Stories. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see the rest of people see how things turn out. See? Yeah, yeah. It'll be an adventure, one way or the other. <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be reached on Twitter if it's still extant uh at loser like me pod or via gmail at loser like me pod at gmail.com uh we do have our own discord server invite link is in the episode notes uh we do also have our own tumblr which is coming along in fits and starts which is uh corner podcast network.tumblr.com our theme song is by us well who knows what the theme song is by this time around <laughs> Yeah, uh, this time it'll be by whoever the artist is who wrote There's Power in a Union. Yes. Or Solidarity Forever. <laughs> but yeah, uh, tune in next time where we will finish talking about The Wishing Spell, book one of yeah. the lead of stories. But until then, bye! <laughs> bye! When they stand, hand in hand, that's a power, that's a power that must rule in every land. One industrial union grant. Come all ye workers from every land, come join in the grand industrial band. Then we our share of this earth shall demand, come on do your share like a man. For there's power, there is power in a band of working men. When they stand, hand in hand, that's a power, that's a power that must rule in every land. One industrial union grand. One industrial union